0: father in heaven thank you for bringing us into this place to worship you and now as we turn to your word we continue to worship you we open our hearts to you we pray that you will have your way in us may your will be done not ours on earth in us as it is in heaven and so father give us this day our daily bread we pray feed us upon the good bread of your holy word this may This may be a day, this may be a moment when there are people who are not your people in this room with us. Thank you for bringing them. You've brought them in your providence. Now draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ that they may believe on him and find everlasting life. For we pray in the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Well, we're back in the book of Revelation. This is our 11th, and I hate to tell you, but our final installment of working our way through the book of Revelation. I don't want to see it end. I don't know about you, but I don't want to see it end. It's kind of like when, by the way, I hardly ever watch TV. It just doesn't interest me much. But now and then, somebody will tell me, you got to check out this series on Netflix. Like I have two series waiting. A guy asked me, did you watch it yet? No, I haven't got there. I'll get there someday. But, and you finally find the series you're interested in, and you watch it, and you're at the end of the last season, and you're into the last epito- episode, and you're kind of bummed because, man, how long is it going to be before I find someone else that I'd really be interested in watching, and I really liked this one? That's how it is for me with the book of Revelation. Now I know, I'm not really bummed, because there's a whole lot more Bible to go right into, and it's, all, it's equally good. But I have really loved the book of Revelation. In fact, it's become my new favorite. It used to be Romans, Hebrews, maybe Galatians. Now it's the book of Revelation. We'll see how long that can stay there, but it's there for now. So I hate to see it go, but there's lots more Bible to get to, lots more topics to cover as a church, so we're moving on. So what are we going to do today in this final message? We're going to do two things. Here are the two overarching things. One, we're going to kind of briefly and rapidly at the front end, glance back. Here are some of the key things I want you to take away from the book of Revelation. And then we're also going to do a wrap-up. Actually, John gives us a wrap-up, so we're going to look at John's wrap-up. So a glance back and a wrap-up. Let's start with the glance back. In the glance back, we're going to notice several things. Here's the first thing we'll notice. Glancing back at what we've seen in the book, there are repeated words. There are words that appear again and again and again and again and again, which give us, shall I say, clues? That's too small a word. Plain indication that this is an important part of the theme of the book of Revelation. There are these words, like, for example, you see up on the screen above you, the word throne is used 34 times. The throne, the throne, the throne, the throne, the throne. How many want me to say that 34 times for emphasis? I won't. But you get the idea. This book is about God and His sovereignty and His government of all things, and He is seated on the throne, and the author of the book of Revelation, God, and and John under Him wants you to know God is enthroned. God is sovereign. This meant so much to those persecuted Christians. It means so much to Christians in our day. You're to live in that assurance all day, every day. doesn't matter what happens. God is seated on His throne. Very quickly related to that is another phrase, it was given, or it is given, 29 times it is given from God on the throne to humans. This answers the question, why did that happen? How come they're getting to persecute us like that? Why are they allowed to do these things? Why is this befalling us? And the answer again and again and again in the book of Revelation is because the God on the throne gave it to them. Nothing happens apart from God's sovereign permission. Nothing happens apart from God's providential care of the earth and his people. And again and again in the book, we see that the one who's seated on the throne gives things to happen. That's why they happen. Allows things to happen. Permits things to happen. Decrees that things shall happen. This is the universe we live in. These are the spiritual physics of our universe. Here's what's really going on. There is one who is seated on a throne, and everything that happens happens because it was given by him. The next word that's repeated is the word like. 87 times. It's like a teenager nowadays, a junior high school guy, like, it was like, it was like, it was like. John does that long before that practice began in our day, 87 times. He says, well, it was like this, meaning, but it wasn't that. The point here is the book is full of symbolism, and there's a whole lot of symbolism where he never even uses the word like. But again and again and again, John says, uh, he looked like a lamb, but he's really the Lord Jesus. He had seven horns, but that really means he's very powerful. Don't mess with him. Like, 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 uh, 87 times in the book. Here's another important word that's repeated and repeated, the word overcoming or overcomers 16 times in the book of Revelation, and by the way, it's used another six times by John, in 1 John so a total of 22 times by John, but 16 times in the book of Revelation, he talks about you all need to overcome. You need to overcome the temptation to leave off with Christ. You need to overcome the temptation to walk it back and become a whatever you were again. You need to overcome the temptation to play down your Christian distinctives so as to avoid the reproach of a Of an ungodly generation, you need to overcome all those temptations and stand strong with Jesus Christ. That is a major, major theme. In fact, all the information that's in the book is not just to tickle your brain. And say, oh, wasn't that interesting? I learned about the beast today. No, no, no. It's all there in order to say to you, now you must be an overcomer. One of the main messages of the book for you, here's what God wants you to do. He wants you to overcome. Closely related to that, the word persevere or persevering is used seven times in the book. And that's related to overcoming. How do you overcome? You persevere. How do you overcome? You keep going. You keep believing. You keep repenting. You keep following the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what God wants his people to do, and this is what he packs into the book of Revelation. The last word that I'll mention is the word lamb 29 times. Lamb. It's a lamby book. He's our lamb. He's a lamb. He's a lamb. He's a lamb. It's interesting. We'll see this. In the very early chapters, he's called our Lord Jesus Christ. In the final verse, of it, he's called our Lord Jesus and all in between because John is seeing a vision he's reporting what he sees and he sees a lamb a lamb a lamb a lamb once a lion all the rest a lamb a lamb a lamb 29 times John sees a lamb that's our savior he is a sacrificial victim he's one who gave himself to atone for the sins of his people so Glancing back, there are these repeated words, these key words that give us major clues. What is the book about? It's about God's throne. It's about his providence it was given. It was about symbolism of things that mean other things. It's about overcoming, it's about persevering. It is about the lamb. That's the book of Revelation. So there are key words that are repeated. Here's a second thing I wanna see as we glance back. I'm tricking you, we're not actually glancing back. We're looking back in the book, but we never covered these things as we went through it but I, I got to get them in there somewhere, so I'm getting them in there now. We're going to glance back to what we haven't seen, but it's back there in the book where there is a rich deposit of descriptive names for Jesus Christ. I mean a rich deposit. There are 37 of them that I made a list of, and then I decided I can't read all 37 of those. They'll never come back to church again. That's the church where the preacher just reads long lists. Let's go somewhere else, honey. So I can't do that, so I'm just gonna read 12 of them. I'll leave out the verse, and I'll just read how how Jesus is described. What, what is the name, what is the description of Christ? So he is called Jesus Christ just drink these in. Faithful witness, first begotten of the dead, prince of the kings of the earth. Alpha and omega, first and last, son of man. I love these next ones. He that liveth and was dead. He that holds the seven stars. He who walks in the midst of the golden candle stands. He who has the sharp sword with two edges. Number 12, son of God. And on up through number 37, there's this incredibly, incredibly uh, incomparably to any other portion of Scripture, any other book of the Bible, this rich deposit of descriptive names, titles, phrases of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. You want a lot of your Savior? You want a lot of our Lamb? You want to see Him in as many facets, His many sides? Just read through the book of Re- Revelation, or just Google names for Jesus, and the, there, there they'll be, 37 of them. Lots of people have the list up. So there's a rich deposit. So there are repeated words glancing back, and there are many descriptive titles glancing back to where we didn't really go before. That's our glance back. But now there's a second thing we're going to do today. We're glance back, and now we're going to wrap up. John does a wrap-up in Revelation chapter 22. The first little bit is really part of what went in chapter 21. The rest of 22 that we're into now is John's wrap-up. And he covers a number of things. I'm going to cover most of them um, in the remainder of this sermon. So here's the first thing John gives us in wrapping up. He tells us first, he gives us an assurance that the book of Revelation, the book you just read through, the book you just listened to as it was read in your, in your church in, their, in the first century, there's an assurance that the Revelation, this book, is God's Word. There's actually a threefold assurance coming from three different sources. Notice them with me, please. Revelation 21.5. And he who was seated on the throne, all right, that's God, and it's also the Lamb. It's God and the Lamb. By this time in the book of Revelation, they're both seated on the throne together. And he who was seated on the throne, God and the Lamb, said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down. Here it is. For these words are trustworthy and true. These words are trustworthy and true. First up in John's wrap-up is I want you to know that what you've just read is God's Word. It is trustworthy. You can trust it. You can believe it. You don't need to question it. You can take it to the bank, to use that phrase. It is trustworthy, and it is also true. What does true mean? It means it's not false. It means there's no lies in it. There's no deceit in it. There's no errors in it. There's no mistakes in it. It is God's infallible and inerrant and authoritative and sufficient word. He wants us to know write this down, says God, these words are trustworthy and true. I mean, how much more clear can God possibly make it that what you just read is my word and it has no errors? and it has no mistakes. It's exactly what I wanted John to write, and you all have it in your hands in the English language because people translated it. So first up in John's wrap-up is this assurance that the revelation is God's Word, and we see the assurance coming from the one on the throne, but now we're going to see the assurance coming from two other sources. Here's the next, Revelation 22, 6. And he, that's the angel speaking to John, said to me, These words, this isn't right, Revelation 22 6. Yeah, there we go. And he, the angel speaking to John, said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. Now, the next slide. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. So God the Father says, These words are trusty and true. Then the angel who's been revealing things to John speaks up and says, I want to say the same thing. These words are trustworthy and true. And it's the the God of the spirits of the prophets, the God of Isaiah, the God of Jeremiah, the God of Ezekiel, the God of the, That same God who revealed His Word to them is now revealing His Word to y'all through, through, through John in the book of Revelation. So, it's trustworthy and true, says the one on the throne. It is trustworthy and true, says the angel who's doing the revealing. And now go down to Revelation one eight, and John's, John pipes up and says, and I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, meaning I didn't make this up. It's really me. I'm John, the apostle of the Lord Jesus. I saw these things. I heard these things. I'm telling you, it's the truth. God said it's trustworthy and true. The angel said it's trustworthy and true. And John says, this is the truth. I'm telling you the truth. He doesn't use those words, but he says, this is what I saw and this is what I heard. And I'm John. So the book of Revelation uh, leaves us with a threefold assurance that what we have just been exposed to and what we have just read is God's word with no mistakes and no errors and no lies and no falsehoods. It is the word of God. We are to believe it and stand upon it. There's a threefold assurance you have God's word. He, God wants you to know that this book is his holy book, the book of Revelation. So that's first in John's wrap-up. What's next? This is next. There's a promise that Jesus is coming. There's a promise that Jesus is coming. There's a lot of this in John's wrap up. It's repeated in John's wrap up, repeated for emphasis. We'll look at a few of the times where it's repeated. There's a promise that Jesus is coming. Look at Revelation 22:7. He says, "And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Behold, he says, I am coming soon." Revelation 22:12 behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Behold, I am coming soon, Twenty-two seven. Behold, I am coming soon, 22.12. Let's go to 22.20. He who testifies to these things says, surely, I am coming soon. And then the response, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So three times we've looked at three of them. Behold, I'm coming soon. Behold, I'm coming soon. Surely I am coming soon. I think he wants us to get a point here. I think he wants you and me, the readers, to understand something. He is coming soon. But have you noticed that was 2,000 years ago, and he hasn't come yet by normal human reckoning, he did not come soon. So what happens? How do we explain that? Peter deals with that very thing. Peter was taking heat about that very issue. Peter was hearing scoffers and mockers. Yeah, where's your Jesus? He said he's coming back soon. Peter tells us how to put it in its right context. I'll show you 2 Peter 3, 3 and 4. He says, knowing this first of all, when you're dealing with that whole matter of Jesus coming soon, scoffers will come in the last days, all down through this church age, with their scoffing, following their own sinful desires. We always follow our hearts. Their hearts desire sinful things, so their brains invent reasoning and scoffing that is anti-Christian. And here's one of the things they will say. They will say, where is the promise of His coming? You silly Christians, you all talk about Jesus is coming soon, and Jesus is coming soon, and it's been 2,000 years. What, are you all brainless? Or are you all senseless? Peter says, oh, let me give them their answer, 2 Peter 3, 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, on God's time, on God's clock, and on God's calendar, on God's watch, soon means something different, that with the Lord... One day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as as one day. He said he's coming soon. It's been two days since then. On God's clock, it's been two days. In light of eternity, it's been two days. In light of God's calendar, it's been two days. When you and I say soon, that that means maybe in a couple days. You tell one of your kids, when are we going on vacation? Soon. It's a couple of days. They don't know what soon means. They only live in now, Right? But when God says soon, he means in a couple of days on his time. Peter goes on, 2 Peter 3, 9, and 10. The Lord is not slow. See, the scoffers are saying, where is he? He's kind of slow, huh? It's been 2,000 years. Kind of slow soon return. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient. Here's why he's waiting. Here's why he tarries. Here's why he hasn't come back faster than two days, God time. He's being patient toward you. So stop complaining not wishing that any should perish. He's reluctant to lower the boom. He's being patient and not bringing in the last day. He's being patient and not ushering everybody immediately to judgment day where they belong. He's been being gracious and long-suffering and merciful and patient, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to or reach repentance, but the day of the Lord will… the day of the Lord will come." So the book of Revelation tells us Jesus is coming. There's a promise to us. How did I put it? There's a promise that Jesus is coming, and he's coming very soon. By the way, just to illustrate that, I can't resist putting this in here. Illustrations always take time. I don't even like using illustrations anymore. I'm just trusting you to be adults and pay attention and listen to discourse. But anyway, I can't resist this one. True story or not, I do not know. A farmer somewhere in Texas was not a believer and not a fan of the church of Jesus Christ or the the gospel. He had a very large and prosperous farm, which butted up right against a local church, and every Sunday he made it a point to run his tractors and work his fields right outside of the church, as if to make a point. I'm out here farming while you are worshiping. At the end of the year, he was the most prosperous farmer in that whole area, in that whole area. And he put an editorial in the paper and said, hey, I've been mocking God. I've been scorning God. I've been running my tractors right outside of that church every single Sunday the whole season. And I've made more money than all the rest of you guys. How do you explain that? And the editor wrote, please note, God does not settle all his accounts in the month of October. There comes a day when all wrongs will be made right. There comes a day when every deed done in the body shall be made known, and the Lord will judge according to his perfect law and his perfect will." And there's a promise for believers, he is coming soon, and he is coming on God's clock. So Peter wraps us up with an assurance, this is God's word, and with an assurance, he is coming soon. What else? What else is in Peter's wrap-up? Here's the next thing in Peter's wrap-up. There are repeated commands. Now, we saw this in our glance back, but I want to make a point of it because it's very important in the book of Revelation. There are repeated commands to hold fast, to keep to persevere, and to conquer. And if you add all those up, it's a lot, a lot, a lot of commands throughout the book. What are Christians who read the book of Revelation supposed to do? Argue with each other over when Christ is really coming. No, 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 no. that's not the point. The point of the book is, here's what Christians are supposed to do. Here are the repeated commands. We are supposed to respond to that book by saying, I'm going to hold fast. I'm going to keep I'm going to persevere, and by the grace of God, I'm going to conquer. These are again and again and again given us in the book. I'll give you a few examples. Revelation 2, 11 and 12. Here we see the command to hold fast. I am coming soon. Hold fast. Way back in chapter 2, it starts. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown by drawing you away from the Lord Jesus And the one who conquers, he throws in the word conquer in this verse, two of these points in one verse. The one who conquers, that's the one who holds fast. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He wants us to hold fast. He wants us to hold fast. A good Christian has to be a little bit like a good pit bull. You all like a pit bull? How many would like to have a pit bull? man, I would love to have a pit bull. I just don't live where I can responsibly have one. But anyway, and one of the things about a pit bull or a British bulldog or any of those little snub-nosed dogs is when they latch on, they don't let go. When they latch on, they hold fast. And you're to be a little bit like a British bulldog or an American pit bull, I don't know where they come from, and you're to be like, I have latched on to the Lord Jesus Christ. I have taken hold of the gospel I have taken up my plow, and I'm plowing straight for the kingdom of God, and I'm not letting go. That's what it means to hold fast, and that command is repeated and repeated throughout the book. There's also a repeated command, a command to keep. Let's look at Revelation 3.8. It's not actually a command here, but I like this verse anyway. Revelation 3.8. He says, you have kept. All right, it's not a command to, but they did it. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. That's what the book of Revelation wants of you. It wants you to hold fast. It wants you to keep, to keep what's been deposited with you, to keep God's word, to hold on to it. It's so painful. Getting older, you look back over a long life, and you see so many who did not keep, so many who once professed and then walked it back, So many who named the name of Christ. The guy who led me to the Bible study where I was led by a pastor to saving faith in Jesus Christ, within a year walked it back. I saw him just before he died a few years ago on the eastern shore. I rode over there to see him, and he was in the Baha'i faith, and he spent his entire life seriously looking for God in the Baha'i faith, and he left off with Jesus Christ, and he left off with the gospel. By the way, if you want to know what the Baha'i faith is, it's, it's a very convenient faith. You believe whatever you want to, and it'll be okay. But there's a command here to keep God's Word. We'll see it as more of a command in Revelation 22, 7. Look at it with me, please. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. What's the book supposed to elicit from you? What's your responsibility having read the book? Keep Keep the words. You have the assurance, this is God's word. You have that from the Father and the Lamb. You have that from the angel who revealed things to John. You have it from John himself. Now keep that word. Keep the words of the prophet. How do I keep all this information and all these weird things? Well, throughout the book, there are these things you are to do. Keep this word. Believe this word. Hold fast to it. Again, Revelation 1-3, going way back to the beginning, it says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. In an assembly, that would be me. I'm blessed because I'm reading aloud these words in our assembly. And blessed are those who hear. That's you. You're the ones who are hearing. And who keep what is written in it for the time is near. that May that be you. You are the ones who hear. Here, And you are the ones who say, yes, Lord. And you are the ones who take hold. And you are the ones who receive. And you are the ones who appropriate. And you are the ones who keep. You keep. You keep. What is important for Christians to do? It is important for Christians to hold fast and to keep the deposit that has been given unto you. And if you're persecuted, you keep. What do you most want for your wife? I want her to keep. What do you want for your kids? I want them to receive and to keep. Amen. Is there anything you want more for your kids than that they would keep the gospel, keep the word of God, keep their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Nothing is more important than that. So we're told to hold fast and to keep. Those are some of the repeated commands, but here's another one. It is the command to persevere, which is very much like holding fast and keeping, but it's a different term, and it occurs again and again and again in the book. The most famous place where it occurs is Revelation 14, 12, which reads, here is a call For the endurance. I don't like that the ESV flipped to the word endurance. It means that, but this is the classic verse from which we derive the doctrine called the perseverance of the saints. Why didn't they keep that word right there? Kind of upsets me. Here is a call for the perseverance of the saints. Well, what's that mean? Who are they? Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. So, One of the points of the book of Revelation is you and I are to be exposed to it, and we're to say, I'm going to keep on. I'm going to keep on believing. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to endure. I'm going to be found at the last day by the grace of God, believing in the Lord Jesus to the saving of my soul. Here is a call. Here, where? The entire book of Revelation is a call for you to keep on, to hold fast, to persevere, to endure, to stay with the Lord Jesus Christ. Related to it is the next repeated uh, command. It's the command to conquer. We'll see it in Revelation 2 and verse 7. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Conquer, we saw that word the past two Sundays. It's the Greek word nikao, to conquer, to be victorious, to win, from which we get the word Nike. Nike is about winning. It's about conquering. That's what the swoosh is indicating. And here he says, long before there was a Nike tennis shoe on the planet, you're supposed to conquer. You're supposed to overcome. What do you overcome? Sin and temptation and the devil, specifically the temptation to apostatize, specifically the temptation to leave off with Jesus, to say, ah, I once believed, I don't believe anymore. No, it's only those who conquer who are going to eat of the tree of life. It's only those who, are, who conquer who are going to be in the paradise of God. So there, there are these repeated, repeated, repeated commands. There's an assurance. This is God's Word. There's a promise. He's coming, and He's coming soon. And there are commands. They basically amount to, don't let go of the Lord Jesus. Don't let go of the gospel. Keep your hold. Keep on believing. Keep following. So assurance, promise, and commands. Now, here's another thing we're going to come to in John's wrap-up. There are also Warnings. There are severe warnings. Some foolish people talk about, well, there's the God of the Old Testament and there's the God of the New, like there are two different gods, like God's personality changed, like God the Father is a meaning, and God the Son came and said, oh, no, we were actually quite loving. But the God of the Old Testament is the exact same God of the New Testament. We're just seeing different facets of him, different parts of him are put on greater display. But here we are at the very end of the New Testament, and there is a severe warning coming from the Lamb, coming from the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't listen to anybody who says God does not motivate His New Covenant people by fear. Don't listen to anybody who says God does not motivate His New Covenant people with warnings. Oh, He warns us so that we might fear. Let's look at one of these, Revelation 22 and verse 12. Revelation twenty-two twelve. 12, behold... I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. If you're in Christ, your recompense is eternal life. What have you done? You've believed on the Lord Jesus and been saved. But if you have not believed on the Lord Jesus, there is a recompense, and it's not just for unbelief. It's for all the things you did that were violations of God's law. Some people in our day, some Christian preachers are are making it sound as if, I think they do believe that at the last day, the only thing you're responsible for is, did you believe the gospel? If you didn't, you'll be judged for not believing the gospel. That's not what God's Word says. God's Word says, Jesus says, I'm bringing my recompense with me. I will repay each one for what he has done. This is a reference to the last day. This is a reference to what we call the great white throne judgment. All humanity will appear there, the sheep and the goats. The sheep, blessed, come and inherit the kingdom which your Father prepared for you. The goats, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. And there will be recompense. There will be payback. That guy that was farming next to the church and mocking God, there will be a payback. There will be a day when all wrongs are made right. It looked like Hitler got away with it. Well, he didn't. There's going to be a payback. A terrible payback for that man. Looks like Charles Manson got away with it. Well, he didn't. There's going to be a payback. There's a recompense for all the things that you have done. So there is a warning. At the last day, people who have rejected Christ, that may be some of you, at the last day God has given you a warning. Yes, God warns you so that you'll fear. God warns you so you'll incline your heart to wisdom. At the last day, you're going to hear about it from God the judge. And at the last day, it will be a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You don't want to fall into his hands. You want to be cradled in his arms in the love of Jesus Christ. But it's a terrible thing to show up there and just fall into his hands, and he's dealing with you in his wrath and according to your disobedience. So there is a warning. There are some more warnings in John's wrap-up. Here's warning number two. Put it this way. There's an outside. There's an outside. Let's look at 2117 but nothing unclean will ever enter it. That's, remember last week, if you were here last week, that's the city, that's the Lamb, that's the Bride, that's the people of God glorified. It's all the people of God in Christ in heaven, and they're portrayed as a city. And here we're told, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. No, you've been cleansed by the blood of Christ, or you don't go in. You've been washed by the blood of the Lamb or you don't enter. Nothing unclean will ever enter it. And that's an assurance. That's a promise. Finally, I get to be such a person that will never be unclean. And finally, I get to dwell in a place where nothing unclean ever comes in. And forever and ever and ever, it's holiness unto the Lord. It's holiness in the Lord. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Well, where are the ones who don't enter? Let's go on to 2215. Outside, there's where we get the warning, there's an outside. Outside, and notice what he calls people, are the dogs. God is not PC, like everybody wants him to be PC all the time in his word. And he says, outside are the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And my brothers and sisters, that's a whole lot of us humans on the planet. That's a whole lot. Where are they? They're outside. So he's looking back at that city, which turns out to be the people of God, all the redeemed of the Lamb, portrayed as a massive city. It's a great number that no man can multitude. And now he says of that city, there's not going to be any evil inside of it. And, and where will the evil people be? Where will the Christ rejectors be? Outside. Dear friend, you do not want to be outside in eternity. You don't want to be outside at the last day. Inside is heaven. Outside is hell. You need to know that just as surely as there is an, as an in inside a heaven, so there will also be an outside. It's a hell. And this is a stern warning. There's an outside. You're supposed to read that and say, oh man, maybe I'll be outside if I don't believe on the Lord Jesus. If I believe on the Lord Jesus, but walk it back and leave off following him and deny him and trample him underfoot and count the blood of the covenant by which I was sanctified as common. This is a stern warning. This outside has other names in the Bible. This outside is also elsewhere called the outer darkness, the lake that burns with fire the place of eternal punishment, the punishment of eternal life. And John's wrap-up contains this dire warning, this stern warning. There's an outside. That's the outside. And only those who follow the Lamb faithfully are on the inside. And all the rest are on the outside. Only those who overcome and conquer and hold fast and persevere and abide to take John 15 in and First John and remain, only those will be on the inside." So there's a warning. He comes with his recompense. There's a warning. Others will be on the outside. Here's warning number three. It's interesting. It's warning number three, which says, don't add and don't take away. Now, this is going to be interesting. Don't add and don't take away. Let's, Let's read it. Revelation 22, 18 and 19. He says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, If anyone adds to them, God will do some adding. God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And, similarly, if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. There are consequences to adding. There are consequences to taking away. And so God says, don't add and don't take away. Don't add to the words of this book, and don't take away from them. Now, usually, we think of this in a way that is very distant from ourselves. We think, well, this must be a word for publishers. Like, you know, if you're Zondervan, it's telling Zondervan. If you're Thomas Nelson, it's telling Thomas Nelson, Don't when when you print a new version, don't take anything away. Don't add anything to it. Don't put, hi, mom, in the middle there somewhere. Don't add to it. Usually we think of that way, so it's very remote from us. Like, how would I ever add to or, ha- or take away? But most people who ever read this in all of human history were not publishers. And I don't think this is written for just publishers. This is written very much for you, and this is written very much for me. So in what sense would I add to it, and in what sense would I take away? Well, I would add to it if I read the book, and then I say, yeah, sort of, but also, and then I add my truth. And then I add my version. And then I add, well, I think God is this way. And I add, well, I kind of believe the other thing over here. And you're adding your views and your opinions to the Word of God. That's who he's talking to. What's take away mean? You read it and you say, no, I don't believe that part. That can't be right. That's God threatening people and giving people fear. That's not the Jesus I love. I reject that part. And you're taking away. It's to you personally. It's to every reader. It's to everyone ever exposed. It's not just for publishers. And you're supposed to say, uh, this means I need to take the book for what it says. It is truth. I don't take anything away from that truth when I read it. I don't add anything to it with my little interpretation that wipes out God's word. No, no, no. I'm to be a faithful follower. I don't add. I don't subtract. I stand on God's word as it is written. So that's what this is really about. And notice again the verse, the consequences for taking away, verse 19, and if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, Uh uh-oh, somebody just took away. (laughs) Oh, no, we're in trouble there. Our slide man was in trouble, man. He's like, whew, all right. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life. Remember the tree of life that's in that city? And from it, God's life flows into your soul for eternity. God's eternal life flows into your soul. God will take away his share. Not that he ever had a share. It's not like you really had a share, but God will take it away. No, what he thought might be his share, God will take that away. And in the holy city, which are described in this book. So what this is saying to you is kind of where we started. This is God's word. He wants you to have that assurance. And here's a threat. Here's a warning. If you don't take it as God's word, if you don't believe it as God's word, God's going to take something away from you. You're going to be in the outside. You're going to be in the outer darkness. You're going to be in God's hell forever and ever and ever. So there's a warning But just as there are warnings in John's wrap-up, so there's also a gracious invitation. And here it is, Revelation 22, 17, a gracious invitation. The Spirit and the bride. That's us. We're all the bride. We're that city. That's the bride. That's the wife of the Lamb. That's the new covenant and old covenant people of God. That's us. And we're all saying together with the Holy Spirit, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty In your soul, you're thirsty. Come and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. That, my friends, is a gracious invitation. How can God possibly make it more clear that you don't need to remain outside? you don't need to fall into the hands of a living God. All you have to do is come to the Lord Jesus. All you have to do is come to the Lamb. All you have to do is enter into the kingdom of God by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. God pleads with you to come to Jesus Christ. So that's a gracious invitation. Would you come? Would you come to Jesus Christ? And now, and this is your cue, there is a surprisingly normal last verse. What do I mean by surprisingly normal? Well, most of the book hasn't been very normal. It has been apocalyptic. It has been highly symbolic. There's crazy stuff happening. It's been like a waking dream where you see one thing and it morphs into another thing and then it turns into several other things over and over and over. But now John is done describing his vision and now it's just John talking to us. And here's the very last verse. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. That one who has been called the lamb, because John was describing a vision, it was lamb, 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 We get to the last verse, and he says, let me just speak in normal English now. Here, Greek. And here's what I want to say to you. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. And that's the last verse of the book, and it's the last verse of God's Bible. Wasn't that interesting? The very last bit of God's special revelation given to us in His Word. The very last sentence, every word comes from the mouth of God. The very last sentence is that one. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. It's surprisingly normal after all the apocalyptic, after all the highly descriptive titles of Jesus. But now in normal verbiage, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. And so that's how I'll end this series. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be your portion. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you now and forever. Amen. Let's bow and pray together. Our Father, this is our prayer that The hearers in this room and the hearers online would believe in the lord jesus christ and in him find life and we your people redeemed by christ we look up to you and pray that you would give us such grace that we would persevere that we would conquer that we would continue that we would remain that we would overcome And may we be found in Christ at the last day. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with each of us in abundance, we pray. Thank you for the communion table to which we now come. Warm our hearts to our Savior. Through it, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.